0: And so we are introduced to the subject of marriage. That's, uh, for those of you who don't know, TV sitcom, um, The King of Queens. Um, we are in, for those of you who may have forgotten or missed or whatever, our ninth week in our series in this card, Intentional Living, in our series of that. And uh, we're talking about intentional, about a marriage that rocks. I, I like the way that's the kind of way that kind of sounded, uh, having purpose in our marriage. And uh, I talk about marriage every so often. Always the challenge from my perspective as a pastor, because I don't care how many people are here or not here. um, There's always going to be a few who aren't married, uh, who have been married and aren't now, uh, who may think it doesn't necessarily apply to them. And, And that's really too bad, because it applies to all of us, and if you're not married, you may be married again, even though you don't think you are, um, and even as important as that, you're going to have people around you who are married, and you need to know the truth, and we're going to go to the source of truth about marriage and anything else, for that matter. That's the Bible, and I'm going to, I'm going to read to you some just one passage, there's several we could use. From the book of Ephesians in the New Testament, I'm going to read that to you, or get you just read it up here on the screen, and you can follow along. But I'm also going to have with that another, another what we call paraphrase of that same thing, along with that. And then I kind of explain what we're going to do as we go on from there. Ephesians 5, verse 21, uh, in the New Living Translation. Further, here we go. Let's get right into it. You will submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. You wives will submit to your husbands. Let's just stop there, okay? (laughs) Just kidding. Come on, come on. Have some humor here, folks, okay? Um, A little touchy here. You wives will submit to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of his body. The church. He gave his life to be her Savior. And the church submits to Christ, so you wives must submit to your husbands in everything. Verse 25. And you husbands must love your wives with the same love that Christ showed the church. He gave up his life for her. Skipping down to verse 33. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Now, I want to show you this in what we call the message paraphrase, and we'll go through it kind of quickly. Out of respect, look at the difference here, though. Out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverend to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for Christ. The husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but by cherishing So just as the church submits to Christ as he exercises such leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church, a love marked by giving, not getting. Verse 33 then. And this provides a good picture of how each husband is to treat his wife, loving himself in loving her, and how each wife is to honor her husband. I want to go through very briefly what i call five demystifying some myths about marriage and i want to go through five different myths about marriage very quickly And then we're going to get to to really our takeout food is really the heart of what I want to talk about this morning because our our takeout food for thought, which was what I call uh, bedrock principles that will rock your marriage. And we'll get to that. But first, I just want to go through these because I think we can maybe, maybe cover some, maybe do some teaching moments here as well as have some, do away with some, you know, what I call some of the disinformation about marriage. The first myth about marriage is that long-term marriages get boring. You've heard that before, and sometimes people use that as an argument against, I don't want to get married, you know, because then I get bored and everything. And the longer you're married, you get bored, and yada, yada, yada. Um, Well, sometimes that is true, and that can be true. As with most myths, there can be a little kernel of truth somewhere sunk way down in there. And I won't lie, and I probably... uh, I don't think I'm the, I know I'm not the longest, but one of the longest marriages in this room. Uh, a couple of us here have been married over 30 years. Um, so, and I will tell you, sometimes it can, if you let it, get boring. If you let it, it's a myth. It doesn't have to be that way. Particularly when you look at. Look what he says in verse 23. Husband provides leadership to his wife the way Christ... More about that in a moment. The way Christ does to his church, not by domineering, but here's what I'm interested in, but by cherishing. When you cherish one another, boredom doesn't really enter into the picture. And you can do that with each other in many different ways. Instead of thinking about some of those things that just drive you nuts, that we all have. We think about those things and those reasons why we cherish that person. Why we were drawn to them in the first place. And the qualities about them that we still find very admirable. You know, it's so easy to dwell on the negative. And we all have negative, let's face it. We all have negative. We all have baggage. We all have different things that we're, you can do. Long-term marriages get boring. No, doesn't have to. Second myth that I want to hit, the ball and chain complex. You say, okay, I've heard this one, and, and, and this is real simple. It's the attitude that sometimes you usually, not always, but you usually hear guys say that. Well, i got to check with the old ball and chain, which is really a, You know, and I, I'm not going to do semantics here. Maybe you say that kiddingly and your wife and you have a joke about it, and I'm, I'm not going to comment on that. That's between you and her. But here's the thing. When we really have this attitude, and I just I want to talk about it a moment. It, it's an attitude that devalues your spouse, no matter who you're saying. If you're saying that about your wife or if you're saying that about your husband. Uh, it lessens the partnership aspect of that marriage, and it implies that one person, and if the guy's saying it's the wife or if the wife's saying it's a, it, it, it It implies that one person is somehow restrictive of the other. And we may not use that term ball and chain, but sometimes we have that attitude. That the other person kind of holds me back, and they're kind of restrictive, and they kind of cramp my lifestyle. That's not a healthy place to be. It's not a healthy place to be at all. See, what do you do about that? Well, you know what you do about that? You sit down face-to-face, and you talk about it. And you say, you know, I'm feeling a little constrained here. Let's talk about that. Sometimes it happens when moms become mom, or when wives become moms, and then they take on the aspect of being a mom to their husband. Now, I don't know if you do this or not. This is a little pet peeve of mine, and if you do this, you know, and, and you don't mean anything by it, don't worry about me. So I don't want to get into semantics on this, but I, I, really, I really think we need to be careful when we start calling. I'm very careful with our kids. I always say, your mom. I never say mom. You know, I don't want to sleep with mom. You know, my mom is my mom. My wife is my girlfriend. Okay. And I just think, you know, we got to be careful with that guys. And sometimes we get that because we, we, we often, after wives becomes moms, oftentimes they take on a whole different thing to us. And sometimes that becomes an unhealthy deal because then we get a little more restricted because we think, well, I got, I got to report to a mom-like figure. You don't need that. There's nothing good about that. Uh, even if you love, and I love my mom. I have a great mother. She's wonderful, and, I, and, I, and, and I'm very grateful for her. But I have one mom, and that's plenty. Okay, God knows it's plenty. I have that thing. Some of I said some of you sometimes. Somebody starts telling you what to do, and I'm like, "Hey, I got one mom. That's enough. And I don't want to hear any more out of you." Well, one time my mother said that to me recently. She said, "Hey, Rich, why don't you do this?" And I just out of habit said, "Hey, I got one mom." I said, Ooh, "She is my mom. What am I saying?" You know. Um, so the whole ball and chain thing—that's the term that I, I put on this. That some people—we would never use that term in most of us in our culture. But I wanted to communicate that whole restrictive thing. Sometimes that's not a healthy place to be. Again, that may need some—that may need some dialogue, because that's not going to make a marriage flourish. It's certainly not going to make it rock. Third little myth: I will never repeat the problems of my parents. How many times have you heard? Maybe you said. My parents got divorced. I will never get divorced. And boom, all of a sudden, there you are. How many times have we seen, this is a horrible thing, but I've seen it way too many times. How many times have we seen child abusers produce child abusers? You know, we oftentimes do take on the problems and the failures of our parents. We don't have to. And that's the issue that I want to really emphasize here. The truth is, unless we are determined exceptionally strong and pray hard with God's power to take over us, we will repeat the pattern that we have seen before us for some 18 or 20 or more years um, of our parents and their failures. And granted, you may have great parents, and you may have parents that have that have epitomized a great marriage to you, and if so, God bless you and thank God for that. But there are still some issues that you probably don't want to repeat. Okay, and that's the issue here that I'm talking about. You can, but I really, only by God's power and only by God's strength, you can break that pattern. It's hard, but you can. But I believe that's why you need to know God. And I believe that's why you you have to go to Christ to ask Him for strength and power and say, Lord, help me. Fourth myth. Here's the one that we just alluded to earlier: Wives must submit. This may be a new myth to some of you. Maybe you've never heard it before. Some of you, particularly if you were raised in certain kinds of of churches and religious disciplines, pro- you some play, places preach this pretty regular. Wives submit, and sometimes they go a step further: Women submit, and they get into all this kind of stuff. And, and it's really, it's really. Well, I want to let's just 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 jump into this. It's um. um They take, here's what they do with this. Out of respect for Christ, look at verse 22. Wives, understand and support your husband in ways that show your support for Christ. If you'll recall, in the other translation that I have, the New Living, it says, you wives will submit to your own husbands. Uh, In the New American Standard, which is probably the most accurate word-for-word, not thought-for-thought, but word-for-word from the original, uh, it uses the word submit. So this is a real problem, because what does that mean? You go into 1 Peter, it talks about having under the authority, 1 Peter 3, under the authority of your, of your husband. And, um, and some, well, well, some people just say, well, that's just cultural. It doesn't have any application for today. And I'd, I'd like to believe that. Although if we believe that and we're going to be consistent with the rest of scripture, then we got other kinds of problems. So here's, here's, I'm going to, here's some things I'm going to tell you about that I don't know. And then I'm going to you some things that I do know. Yeah, I don't really understand this still. At one time, I really understood it well. Um, really well. And it was just like, hey, wives submit. And, uh, you know, that's the way it is. Um, but here, what we always do on that, we always leave out verse 21. Which is right here, he has out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverend to one another. The other translation says, submit one to another. That's the thing he says first before he goes into wives, submit to your husbands, husbands love your wives. That's the first thing. We always forget that, don't we, sometimes? Or those of those who who, who I think really malign this whole text it, it works, you know sometimes does, does my wife submit to me yes do i submit to her yes i do you know most of the time frankly i'd be better if i submitted to her than she you know we we one, one person put it like this we submit to one another's strengths and that's part of the issue here and we just we just in, in christian circles we get this whole thing messed up And and I I want to try to set the record straight as much as I can. What does it mean for, you know, why does he emphasize this? You know, I don't know. I don't know some of the answers to all of that. Here's what I do know. Let me emphasize what I do know. This doesn't mean that men can bark out orders, be a bully, intimidate, expect to be served, steamroll over, or tell the wife how it's going to be. That's never, ever, ever acceptable. Period. You know, and that's not what, I know God well enough. No, that's not what he's after here. Why is that? Because he says, submit as Christ. The one thing he gives the illustration of as Christ, as Christ is the head of the church. Let me explain to you about Jesus. Jesus was the first and the greatest what? Servant leader. What did he do? He washed his disciples' feet. A guy? Your wife's feet. And take that figuratively speaking. You can take it literally, but take it figuratively. And you serve her. See, that's the, that's, that's what Jesus gave in terms of leadership. So, there are a lot of things I don't understand about this passage and a lot of, you know, but there's a lot of things I do understand. And that is, this never is an excuse to run over people, whether she's your wife, whether to tell her, hey, honey, the football game's on, bring me some more beer and pretzels now, baby. Um, I do know that's not the example that Jesus is giving in scripture. That's not it at all. And the example that I get is, you know, guys, we need to kind of fall all over ourselves trying to serve our wives and our family, particularly if we want to lead the right way. Whatever all that will involve. So, that's a, a fourth myth, and I want to just deal with that and, and get that out of the way and get you people to understand that because it, you know, unfortunately it's misunderstood in many, many churches that believe the Bible. I don't, I don't do away with that passage of Scripture. I'll, I just admit there's some parts I don't understand. Here's what I do understand, and that is, I'm to treat my wife like a gift from God because Proverbs says if you get a good, if you have a good wife, you treat her like a gift from God. And then deal. With, the other part, you know, and what happens is sometimes people get, you know, because they always. I get this sometimes as a pastor. Um, people will come to me and say, "Well, we can't agree, husband." Wife, we can't agree. Doesn't that mean that she has to submit to me? Husband will say, "I'll say no. It doesn't mean that." Well, we got to make a decision. I say, "Well, you sit down and you figure out a decision you can make together." Well, we can't, will you sit down? Well, we haven't got, well, you sit down there and start, and then you pray together. It doesn't mean you say, okay, we can't agree, so it's going to be my way, baby. What do you, you know, does that sound Christ-like? Is that the way Jesus behaved? No. No, so that, that's the example here that we need to look at instead of this other trying to, trying to make someone submit. So it's a, it's a, it's a difficult deal. Number five myth, we aren't compatible. And of course, that's one of the number one means for divorce, isn't it? Incompatibility. Well, welcome to the club. If you put two fallen people together in the same house for more than a couple of hours, somebody is not going to be compatible all the time. And you know, very simply, very simply put, when you look at verse 21, out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. That ought to take care of it right there. Just submit to one another. You know, and that's the issue here. If two people agree on everything, only one of them's thinking. Okay? And that's true in marriage, that's true in life. That's true in relationships. If two people agree on everything, and some people want that. Some people want, but I don't believe, first of all, it's what God how God wanted us to live. And, and number two, I don't really think you want to live that way. Two people agree on everything. Only one of them is thinking, and 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 that's what you get when you have when you say we're not we're not compatible or we're this we don't we don't see things alike. Well, of course not. You're two different people. My gosh, you know it's not like we have these. We saw the Stepford Wives the other night. It's not like we make everyone just you know it's it's an interesting movie. I don't recommend it, but um um it's an interesting movie because they would take their wives and they would have some kind of computer chips put in. I'm giving you the whole story here, giving some computer chips in them and um. And it would make them behave in certain way. And it was just, you, first you look at it and like, hey, this is cool. Every wife is just always just beautiful and always just this way and just this way and 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 just everything at the beck and call of her husband and everything. And it's just got some different twists and so forth to the movie and so forth. But you know what? That's pretty much what it would take to always be compatible. It's just just put a computer chip in them. I don't know if they've made that computer chip yet, but somebody's probably working at it. You know. But the point is, that's not the way life is. And what we're going to do, if we're going to exactly, if we're going to do exactly what this verse says out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another, sometimes we have to sit down, oftentimes we have to sit down and just communicate. And just say, you know, I'm having a hard time with this. And they can say, well, I'm having a hard time with this. Well, let's talk. Sometimes you get to a hard spot and you don't can't resolve it. And then what do you do? Well, I'll tell you what we do. We just pray. Well, God help us both. Change me. And then you say, well, well, you know, eventually, yeah, eventually you got to do something on some of those things and you do the best you can with what you got. I believe acting accordingly with the grace of God and God working in both of you. The challenge is to bring our incompatibilities to God, asking him to change me in the areas that need to be changed. All right. Now, those are some of the myths. I will I will address all of those, and then some, when we get into this, just get into this takeout food. Because we're going to get into the, what I call the takeout food for thought here. And this is really our concluding stuff. And this is really what I want to just kind of spend just the rest of the few minutes that we have and hit these again very quickly, but it will answer some of these myths for us as well. Bedrock principles will rock. This is what's going to rock your marriage right here, okay? And the first one is this. Unflinching selflessness. You knew that was coming, didn't you? unflinching selflessness. Look what he says in Philippians chapter 2. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good impression on others. Being external. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourself. Don't think only about your own affairs, but be, under, but, but the interest, excuse me, but be interested in others too and what they are doing. This is a verse for everybody. This isn't limited to the context of marriage. So if you're here and you're not married, there's some good principles for you in life in general, all right? But the point is this, if we apply those verses those principles to our marriage, thinking of our mate first being interested in them first, that's going to revolutionize some marriages. How are you doing today? What, how can I help you honey? How can I serve you um, we it's instead of automatically thinking of me and my deal, my first shot my first thought should be how would this action or how would these words affect Her or him. That's going to revolutionize relationships. That's going to revolutionize homes too. That's the best right there. I'm going to say this about three or four more times before we're finished. You want good premarital, postmarital, middle of marriage counseling? Right there. Don't be selfish. Don't live to make a good... Right there. You don't get any better than that. That's as good as it gets. Now you've got to live it. Second little... Bedrock principle or take-out food for thought. Not only unflinching selflessness, but let me show you this one. Unlimited forgiveness. say, so yeah, you had to deal with that, didn't you? You must make allowance. Let me show you. For Colossians chapter 3. I use this verse often because it's such a great verse. You must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Once again, this is in the context of Relationships. How much better if we apply that to our marriages. Honey, I shouldn't have said that. That's okay, I forgive you. I shouldn't have done that. No, you shouldn't have, but you know what? You've forgiven me for that and many other things. It's over. You probably don't have to say that first part. But you have. I forgive you. And I hope you'll forgive me. i do something to let you down in the future. (laughs) Because you will. Because you're a fallen person. Forgiveness is never optional. It's required. It's not to be kept track of. It's not to be used later to get an advantage on your mate. Oh, I forgave you for this. You've got to forgive. That's not how forgiveness works. You forgive. And that's it. You forgive. And you know, and i got to throw, i got to say this. It's not even quite the end of the message yet, but I'm going to say it anyway. And that is this. I don't believe you can really forgive until you understand. Understand the forgiveness of Jesus. And that's what this verse is talking about. The Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. All I don't have to think about how many times I've sinned against my wife. That's plenty. I can just think about how many times I've sinned against God. And I can say, that's how I'm supposed to forgive everybody else. Now I'm supposed to forgive my wife. Whenever something is said or done that maybe misunderstood or I didn't like or hurts my feelings or, or whatever. And it has to come to the point where I, when I understand how much God forgave me, and let me just throw this, let me just say this. Um, when we come to an understanding that, that we're sinners, we're all sinners, we've all fallen short of God's glory and God's grace, and that we put our trust in the fact that Jesus came and lived and, and died and for our, went to the cross, rose to give us eternal life, and we put our trust in him and understand, God, you've forgiven me. You've forgiven me for past, present, and future. You've forgiven me completely because of your love for me. Boom. That's the kind of forgiveness we're to have for others. That's the kind of forgiveness we're to have for our mates. Sometimes it's hardest by those who are closest to us. Because it hurts a little more sometimes. You know, my buddy on the golf course does something against me. That's easy to forgive sometimes, not always. But when my wife says something or does something, or my husband says something or does something, then it's, oh, man, that's hard. Then I just say, you know what? I'm going to forgive you. Because that's, that's how I have to live. Because people do damage when they don't forgive. They do damage to others when they don't forgive. And they do damage to themselves. Some people are living, walking examples of unforgiveness. And I've seen just enough of it to say, boy, I sure don't want to live there. I sure don't want to live there. So, unlimited forgiveness. Third little piece of takeout food. Unstated compromise. You say, what does that mean, unstated compromise? Here you go again. Another couple of verses that will really help you. Look at these in uh, Philippians um, Chapter 2 again, your attitude should be the same that Christ Jesus had, that though he was God, he did not demand and cling to his rights as God. He made himself nothing. Sometimes we need to make little compromises or give up some I wants without ever mentioning it. That's what I'm talking about. Because sometimes we'll make a compromise and we'll say, okay, I'm going to do this, honey, because I love you. You know what? Maybe you don't even say that. Maybe you say, yeah, let's do that. I don't have to get my thing in. I don't have to get my thing in there to say, I'm going to do this. I'm going to sacrifice doing this, and I'm going to give up my I want here to do this because I love you. Why do you have to say that all the time? Trying to get points? Trying to get a little credit? You know, it's supposed to be between you and God, and it is. You don't have to do that sometimes it 's giving up on those things without ever saying a thing except to god say god i 'm doing this, and this is hard, but it 's the right thing to do i don 't have to say anything about it i don 't have to get credit for it. God, you know about this, and i 'm just going i 'm just going to just give it give it to you that 's a, that's a little harder isn 't it it 's a little harder, which goes to my last thing, and this is the, the kind of builds on that, and that is this fourth little piece of takeout food for thought. Unconditional love, and you knew that was going to come. Unconditional love. Unconditional love means basically that you just lo- you just love and you don't love, you don't do things expecting something in return. Classic passage in the Bible. It's called the love chapter. Let me show it to you. It's in 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient. You know these verses. You probably heard them in weddings. Uh, love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Love does not demand its own way. Love is not irritable. This is in the Living Translation. Love is not irritable and keeps no record... It's not grumpy. Get that, it's not irritable. Hmm. And keeps no record of when it's been wronged. It is never glad about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Love never gives up, never loses faith, is always hopeful and endures every circumstance. The thing that is convicting to me as a husband is that I am asked by God to love my wife with unconditional love. That's not just limited marriage, by the way. You know that. That's for, again, relationships. But in marriage, let's just take it to that level for a moment. I'm asked to love my wife without expecting or wanting anything in return just because I love her. One of the opportunities that we had after I left L Bible Church where I was pastor before I came here, a few years before I came here, we had about a three-year time in there where I was doing some other things, Charlene and I were doing some other things, and one of the things we did, we, we helped with a, a ministry in Denver called the Downing House, which is a great ministry, and we were we were resident hosts there and there were some young people involved and we helped with, with them and just helping with some speakers and just hosting them and just being a, being a buddy to some of them and so forth. And one of the guys that spoke, he was speaking at the Denver Seminary. He's not far from there, and he was speaking from there. And when he said to me his name to me, he's an old guy, I recognized his name from 20-some 20, 20 years earlier. He had written a couple of the textbooks that we had used in the school that I went to, a couple of theological textbooks, Dr. McQuilkin. And I had read a few things about him. He had, he had been the president, um, uh, besides an author, the president of uh, Columbia Seminary uh, in South Carolina. And now it's called International. But um, uh, and I had heard some things and read some things how he had had willingly given up his his uh, presidency because of a family situation uh, of a sickness. So and I didn't have the ever have the opportunity to find out the deal. Well, this was an opportunity where we could just sit and talk, and I just was asking him about it. And I learned that he had given up the presidency of the seminary and and uh, college because his wife had Alzheimer's and he could take care of her. And it was before she needed institutionalization, which eventually she probably would, but it did not at this point. And I got to tell you, listening to him talk about some of the things that he did for her, I mean, it brought tears to my eyes. Because he, all I could think about was the fact that we're not talking about a wife who's sick from pregnancy and she's going to get over it. We're not talking about a wife who's got some kind of sickness and she's going to, we're talking about someone who's never. Going to get better. Ever. And how he would take care of her. Read to her. Pray with her. Clean up after her. Just because he loved her. Never would ever get anything in return. Ever. That's love. That's unconditional love. And that's what God says I'm to have. And you're to have for your mate. That's pretty amazing stuff. I'll say it again. There's only one place that can come from. From God Almighty, working in you and working through you. That's the only place it can come from with a pure motive. I want to I want to close and I want I want to tell you how I want to close. Um, this is, you know, we go through all kinds of things in our marriages. A lot of good times, some bad times. And sometimes we need to just stop and we need to focus on what's really important. This film clip that I'm about to show you uh, does just that. It, it comes from a movie. Again, we don't recommend movies here often, and I don't recommend this one. It's an older movie, Story of Us, Bruce Willis, and, um, um, Michelle Pfeiffer are in it. They the whole movie goes through their whole life, how they meet and they get married and have all. They go through literally hell and high water, uh, with a lot more hell than high than than anything else. Their kids go off to summer camp. They have decided they're going to get divorced. This is it. We're out of here. And so, before this clip that you're going to see, what happens is they're deciding where, they're, what restaurant they're going to go to. They're about to pick up their kids from summer camp, and they're deciding what what restaurant they're going to go to to um, talk to their kids um, about getting a divorce. And there's one restaurant that is named, but they decide they can't go to Cal Fung's. I'm using that name because you're going to hear it here in the clip in a minute. Because if they go to Cal Fung's, they can't go there because that's a real happy, fun place, and that's no place to talk about the fact that mom and dad are going to split up. So um, that's what's happening when they just pick up their kids, and that's where we come into the story. All right, so watch this. Wherever you are, you know, and I know many of us have been through different situations here, and, and, and sometimes they're unavoidable, and I, I understand that, and that's the way it works. But there's something here that I want you to think. It's never easy, the part that I wanted to bring out. It's never easy. There's some great times. And wherever you are in your life and where you are in your marriage and some of you are in in great situations now and have been through some tough times, hey, rejoice in that. Thank God for that. And move on from there. When the the, the tough times come, this isn't to to condemn anything from the past. This is to deal with when the tough times come, remember that. Maybe you're not in that situation right now, but remember that. Hey, God can do something here, and He will. Let's pray about that and just ask God to... To work in all of our hearts as to where we are in our lives right now, Lord, you know each person here, and you know where they have come from and where they are. Some folks here have have uh, are single. Some of them, we few people here who are single and, and and have been have been through marriages and are divorced and and maybe they're looking, maybe they're not. But God, we don't know what you have for them, but we pray that they would find hope in this. To do to do this according to your way this time. And to learn from that, and to and to rejoice where you have brought them and what you taught them through all this. Some folks here are married and going through tough times. I pray that the Spirit of God would work in their hearts. And maybe for them, it's it's not easy. But as we have seen so clearly illustrated here, uh, help them to see God that there is a way. As we cling close to you. For some of us, Lord, we may be going through some tough, some great times right now. And uh, some of us here, maybe in our first marriage, maybe in our second marriage, maybe another one, and we're seeing some really cool things happen. Lord, help us to rejoice in those. Help us to be thankful for those. But also help us to remember these principles when some of those other things happen that that aren't so great, that we can remember we're building building a, a history here by your grace and by your power and by your strength. Father God, we pray for your blessing upon this. We pray that we would be drawn to you and to each other as a result of this. And we thank you now. In Jesus' name, amen.